Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dragon Talk. Dragon Talk. Dragon Talk. Dragon Talk. Dragon Talk. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito. As you can totally tell. Who are you? I'm Shelly Mazenoble. Hi, Shelly. Hi. I'm very excited to talk to you. Me too. I'm excited to talk to you. There's so much fun things that are going on in Dungeons and Dragons, including making it happy for people of the world. Yes. Right? Because that is our goal. That's our goal. Yes. We want to lift you up and play D&D. With you. With you. On a cloud. And harmonize. No one knows how to no, do that here. Definitely not, can't do not that. Not on these microphones. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but we have a really cool interview for this episode. Uh, just a feel-good A feel-good interview. interview. That's right. I would say. All over. Jess Dempsey and Joey Ivino from the Dots RPG Project. Yay. Good people. Uh, you are not on this interview, so no. boo so it's a good one. to you. So it's I can a real listen good to one. it. You can listen to this whole interview. I'm going to. Not this opening, though. No. Not oh, at all. Yeah, fast forward. Um, but the Dots RPG project is really interesting. They are making products that uh, are for visually impaired D&D fans so they can play along. Braille dice uh, that Joey is printing, 3D printing himself, uh, which is amazing. He's printing them out, signing them down, and making them available to people through their Dots RPG project. That is uh, amazing. They have partnered with um, uh, RPG publishers like our friend Wolfgang Bauer's Kobold Press, uh, and they are printing out some of the Tome of Beast in Braille form. Whoa. And even though we didn't know this when we talked to them uh, before PAX, uh, so it's almost like a month-long uh, gap here between when the interview happened and when this uh, cool news is ready to drop, but we have agreed with them to produce uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition material in Braille form. Yay! They are going to be doing, uh, I, I don't know exactly what their plans are, but they they would love to do more and more uh, material in, from the core rule books. Probably start with the player's handbook and then move, work, work yeah, on from there. makes sense. Yeah, and all in Braille. And they have permission to do this. Yeah. Because we're excited to work with them too. We are excited because it, it is really great all about making... A great organization. Always makes me feel a little bit crappy. Like when I hear like, oh, like they're making Braille dice because some people can't see their dice. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, that's just another thing some of us take for granted. Right. And I feel kind of crappy. I mean, that. there's, you know, you, you can you can get uh, around it different ways. You can have people yeah. read it to you, but not having that um, experience of rolling a, a yes. D20 and seeing or, or feeling or, or knowing exactly yes. that you rolled experience. that 20 critical yep. hit. I mean, that's a great, yes. great, amazing thing. So um, that's what the Braille dice are able to do, as well as the uh, Braille uh, publishing of D and D core rulebook stuff. Uh, I think is going to be uh, a really great uh, uh, tool for people out there. I would love to see that coming off the printer. <laughs> yeah. How cool is that? I know. And when, and when they brought in some stuff, they were like, "Oh, here's uh, you know one chapter, and it was yeah, as was, thick as one of our books." Ask, how big is? Will the book be? The books are are it's just you know it's just printed on um you know usually like a thicker cardstock yeah. so that the the braille dots can be uh, punched through and uh you know the space wise they can't put as much on much text on the page as they can on a real D and D book so they're probably going to break it up into chapters uh, and uh, release it that way so That's that people amazing. can do it that way but it's big you know it's a it lot is. of it takes a lot of space it is a tome. A tomb. Very cool. Um, they also did a really good job uh, and one thing that we talk about in the interview is descriptions. 
for monsters? Like what what is happening in the illustrations in the monster manual? Or what oh. does what does a beholder look like? Right. You know, and and while we have descriptors in the monster manual, we definitely use the images to do a lot of heavy lifting for that type of thing, but that right. doesn't work for someone who's visually impaired. Yep. So these uh, descriptions that they have, and they had like a really long version, they got a medium version and a short version, and I thought they were really interesting ways to, uh, you know, for dungeon masters to condense and use that type of language also. So a lot of the work that they're doing can be done, uh, can be used, you know, by, by, by all players. Yes. Good stuff. All right. So we'll get all into that in the interview, of course, but uh, wanted to make sure that we got that announcement out there yeah, here in this exciting. intro. Um, of course, there's tons of fun stuff happening uh, all around with Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus flying off the shelves into people's hands and eating their faces. And into hell. And into hell. Hell, hell, hell. Hell, 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 hell. It's Halloween season, everyone. Yes, it is. So die, 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 die. Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the nine hells, 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 hells. We're creeping out. Full-size candy bars. All over there. I am i haven't really read through the book yet because I don't want to spoil myself. I'm going to be a know, player in one of these. You are? Uh, You're not going to DM it? I'm not going to DM uh, this you one You had right so now. many good DM ideas. I do have fun DM ideas. So I'm not going to do it right away. I might i might play first and then DM later, but I didn't want to spoil myself on the details. Or soil yourself by I, well, playing I'm it. I'm definitely going to be soiling myself. Because it's scary. Hi. <laughs> 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 um, but there's also the Battle for Baldur's Gate Dungeon Mayhem expansion. Heard of it. That I will spoil for all y'all. Do it. It's good. It's so good. It's really good. There was a great review in uh, Geek Dad today. Oh, no way. Yeah. Shout out to... Saying how fun it is. All the cool people at uh, Geek Dad. You know. And Geek Mom. Thank you. They yes. do great stuff. All the geeks. Geek parenting. <laughs> Geek Parenting, where it's at. Love it. Um, I can't wait for more people to use all six players at the same time. My God. I said no. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? How dare you try to play Dungeon Mayhem with six players? I would love to see all of the uh, house rules that need to be done to make that happen. I would be curious. I am also curious Um, about... Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty tabletop <sighs> role playing game adventure. Got a sample in today. There's a sample. Yeah. No way. Mm-hmm. What is the sample? Is it um you know from a song in the seventies? Yes, they sampled it. A little Captain and Tennille, <laughs> which is definitely the soundtrack that you should be playing when you Everyone play. Everyone should play Captain. And, do we have the license to play uh, Captain and Tennille I mean, records? I mean, is there are people actually out there holding on to that? Probably not. So I'm going to go for it. Um, I love Captain What can you tell me about that uh, whole box set? First of all, it looks amazing. Due to all of our amazing graphic artists. Mostly Emmy. Emmy Tanji. Yes. So it looks fantastic. Um, The books are so funny. We... Were we had to actually increase the page count really? in the adventure because there was so much good material and we just couldn't we couldn't cut anything. That makes sense. How many pages are there? Forty four. Forty four yep. in the adventure. Yes, and then we actually had to double the size of the rule book because Rick what? has so many um, of his own opinions <laughs> on how D anD D should be played and what Wizards of the Coast got did. wrong. That is wrong. He uh, has, like, word stuff. bubbles and stuff where he he's, does. like, commenting throughout the whole rule book, right? It's just so funny. I like when he goes after Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> that makes me laugh the hardest. Is that you? Is that your voice in there? It's not. No? No. I, I, but I'm going to read it in the Shelly voice. I will. You can. You can. 
I will say that he has a lot of advice for dungeon masters, and it's actually pretty good advice. Oh, <laughs> like, he's been doing it for a he's long time. In like his own his Rick way about uh, giving that advice. But I'm like, well, it actually kind of makes sense. Yeah. I might actually go with Rick on that one. He's going to be the person that that gets you into DMing. He actually might. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, Who that would is, have thought? That is going to come out on November 19th, uh, the Rick and Morty box set. At the same time, Eberron Rising from the Last War is yes. coming out. So that's cool, too. There's also the Essentials Kit, uh, which taught me everything I needed to know about Dungeon Mastering. Very inspiring. As well as using the sidekicks. I, I love them. I love using them. And uh, someone pointed out that that this on Twitter and it's how I've been using the sidekicks it's all about uh, giving the dungeon masters a voice or a character that they can use to you know guide people along or um, you know give some advice for new players who may not know how to do it but you can do it in like the voice of a character so it never feels like hey this is me the dungeon master telling you how to do something it's more like this is the character and oh wouldn't it make more sense to check for traps on this on this door no way yeah I actually love that it's great I love that it works out really well I also really liked the in- initiative trackers. Yeah, handed a number. You I like having it. a number? I do. Do you like taking a number at like the deli? I yes, because I am such a rules person. Like we, there is order here, people. There is order, but it does stress me out because I'm like I'm gonna miss my number when they call it. Oh my god, they're on twelve, thirteen. Oh, please say fourteen. Please say fourteen. That's my number. But what if I turn my head and I miss it and they skip me? That happens very all the time. It's stressful. I know, right? Yeah. Or what if people just come up and they start ordering and they didn't I take a number? I can't take it. I don't <laughs> like it when people break rules. There is order. <laughs> just like I don't like it when you shove your coat and your small bag and your larger bag in the overhead bin on an airplane. What, what's what? wrong with that? Tito, you're taking up room from other people. Oh, yeah, but if it goes on top and it's not... You wait. Wait until everybody in your row has put oh, their bag up there, and then you can maybe shove your coat in a little crack. All right. I can see that. So you're lawful neutral, totally. I think. Yes. Yeah, you just like rules, but you're not necessarily for people's good but or evil. But I will evil. cut a bitch if you <laughs> break a rule. <laughs> I will take you downtown. I will take you down. I've been traveling a lot on planes, and it is very interesting how people always want to crowd when they want to get on the the plane, I know. and I'm like, it doesn't matter, people. But they want that overhead space. Is it just the overhead space? I think so. I think they've really stressed us out about it. I just, it really doesn't matter to me. If it I, matters if I, to me a great deal. Well, you just check it if it's full. I don't want to check it. Well, you don't. They could we, lose it. Sure. But I just, you know, I don't know. All that stress that gets involved plane. in it. I know. I know. I wish that I could be just I'm very zen cool when I'm traveling. It. I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, I missed the plane. I don't care. I don't understand why people wear flip-flops. That bothers me. That bothers me too. Are you a yoga pants person while traveling? No, I, that I'm also seems not. like someone like they just they're just as schleppy as they can be. I, comfort matters. Comfort does matter, but you can still like have like also like sometimes I see people in like really short shorts or a short skirt. Yeah, that's not comfortable to sit in for a long time. It's not like those um, uh, seats are are you know smooth or no, good in like any way sticky. against your skin. Plus, yeah, like, someone no else's bare skin could have been sitting there and not your bare skin. Have you ever played d d on an airplane? In my head. In my head, yeah. I wonder if you could do that, if you actually had, like, a row of three people where you're like, let's play. Why not? Yeah. That it's makes a lot of voice. sense. Right? Yeah. As long as you're not annoying the people around you. As long as, like, it's not just the constant sound of dice on those little tray tables. <laughs> That might be annoying. You have to bring one of those, uh, uh, you know, wormwood oh, yeah. rollers yeah, yeah, and then yeah. it has to be like that pleasant sound. Or just have a dice roller on your phone. Oh, yeah. You could do it that way for yeah. sure. Yep. Yeah. 
I think it's the talking that would annoy people. I've been taking a lot of red eyes, so I feel like people would get mad at me if Definitely I started to do that. Definitely do not want to play What if you were role-playing eye? as a crying, crying baby? Do you think that people would, would like that on a plane? No. I think that they would kill you. They'd kill <laughs> they your character. <laughs> this is what my character would do, all right? The character's really scared you guys, and my character is a baby, and my character has colic. It's <laughs> <laughs> a colicky baby. It's <laughs> 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 what my character would do, guys. We're in hell. I'm like really good at role playing. <laughs> I'm like invested in my character. I, I had a uh, flight attendant. This we're totally going on like the the comedian thing. Like, what's the deal with air travel? But there was a guy who was on the announcements. So those annoying announcements. I put on my headphones. I try to ignore them as much as possible. But the guy played a character. The entire flight. Like the pilot? No, the, the person who was doing the oh, announcement the was like, oh, you have to do this. But he did it all in the sing-songy robot voice oh. the entire time. Was that annoying or It funny? was annoying, but he also wrote jokes that, like, if you were listening and paying attention, you're like, oh, wait, that was funny. He was trying to, and I don't remember any of them right oh, now. but he was, But he trying. stayed consistent the entire time. Every single announcement, he was like, you know, now it is time to travel to Seattle. You know, and he, oh. he did that whole thing, and it was at first I was like, "Just shut up, dude! I'm trying to sleep." Um, but I started to really, uh, you know, uh, appreciate Looks his forward. commitment to the bit. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of talking to do. Yeah. He knows people are tuning him out. I almost you might him, as well try. I almost gave him a business card to be like, "Do you play DT?" <laughs> he probably does. Maybe he could do some um, sirenscape voices. Yeah, yeah, he could. Uh, all right, well, we, let's move on to some lore that you should have known already about. About Shelley. water harpies. About water harpies. No, I think we're going to talk about uh, some th- colossi. Are you talking to Adam? We're talking to Adam. Ask him about water harpies. We'll bing bong it up with some water harpies. Do it. Puff, puff, give! Welcome to another edition of Lore You Should Know. This is the segment where I, Greg Tito, speak to Adam Lee. Hello, Greg Tito. About all the fun things about a specific topic of Dungeons & Dragons lore that you can get out there and use in your game, hopefully soon, or just to know and, and, and to be the part of the tapestry of your world building. Yes. That's going on. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the Colossi. The Colossi. The war-forged Colossi. You may find them in Eberron. Um, oh, you may. I guess war-forged are... We can, we can talk on that briefly, too, about like what war-forged are and then what the Colossi are. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the war-forged are these uh, sort of mechanical uh, dudes that were created to fight wars in the last war um, in Eberron, and they... they um, were created by the Kenneth uh, Dragonmark House, and they they f- somehow figured out a way to give them consciousness, and then they just programmed them to go fight the war for them. Um, but at some point, the Warforged, sort of their consciousness rose to a point where they gained autonomy, and then they were able to make choices for themselves. And uh, then that caused a lot of problems because they didn't always follow orders, and they went off on their own, and they... Um, one of them became actually called the Lord of Blades. Mm. And that dude went off and he uh, sort of created a, his own sort of splinter group of Warforged and wanted to free them from this sort of tyranny that had been imposed upon them. 
And uh, but anyway, the Caneth House uh, created Warforged in there, so it's it's basically like um, automatons, but they are sentient and they're able to sort of run under their own command. And you know, they were designed to take orders, but somehow they their consciousness kind of broke free from that, and then they were able to sort of have autonomy on their own. That's interesting. And you, I'm going to correct you for a second. You said you said dudes, that yeah, they were, but they're not. They they have no gender. No, they? they don't. They are. They're just uh, they're machines. Yeah. So. Um, they can either um, – they're a playable race, so you can, um, you know, say you can continue on with that or you can have them take on whatever gender they want. So if, if a Warforged decides like, hmm, they're looking at society and they think, oh, I'd like to try that out, they could, you know. But Warforged will always look just like the way they do and they have a, a certain specific look to them. And, um, and uh, yeah. That's kind of one of the fun of the Warforge is that you can play it however you want to, because Warforge are in this kind of strange position where they're this kind of like Commander Data on Star Trek. They're they're looking at society, they're looking at people, and then they're trying to figure out their own identity because they've been created yeah. out of nothing, and their 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 progenitors have not sort of given them like who they are and what they are. So they're having to invent who they are on the fly. And um, which getting is getting a lot of signals from from yeah. the, the the societies that are there in Eberron, but then yeah. also being like, how do I fit into that? And what is yeah. what, what does it mean to be me? Yeah, what does it mean to have consciousness? What does it mean like? And 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 generally, everybody because of the last war, um, depending on when you play your Eberron game, if you play it after the last war, then a lot of people are going to look at them with horror. Um, because Warforged were used to just kind of blow through towns and destroy things. Almost like stormtroopers, yeah. right? Like just going in and doing yeah. as much destruction as possible because there was no consequences, or at least the people yeah. who were ordering them in there didn't think of them as uh, as sentient life, right? So no. it was like, oh, if they get blown up, who cares? We'll yeah. just make more. It's like, you know, if, if uh, you know, some, you know, these like Boston Dynamics, you know, robots suddenly became conscious. Yeah. And then people would look at that as like, that's just a killing machine. Um, but, you know, others might look at the Warforged and, and see that, you know, these are protectors because Warforged were used to protect um, villages and towns and things like that. Oh, so doing that too, yeah. Yeah. And then Warforged in within the – with during the war, some of Warforged kind of realized – and that's a fun thing to start to think about is when did a Warforged kind of come online as a as a, as a an identity, like an, an ego and realize like – what am I doing? They wake up out of the dream or the, you know, the blank slate of being a program and then all of a sudden they gain this sentience and they're, then they're questioning what they do. Like, do I want to do this? Does this feel good? Does this feel bad? Um, Does that, was that an event that happened when the war is over or is it different for each It's kind of different. One that was created. You know, it's not really clearly said when th- it, this thing started to happen, but it slowly happened over time. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine that when Kenneth created these things and put them online and, uh, you know, expected them to just be following orders. But then at some point, um, one of these, whoever it was, whichever it was, it might have been a group. It might have been like they all came off an assembly line. So it might have been a junk of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, then these ones just start to question, what are we doing? Like, what, yeah. is, what is going on here? Are we the baddies? Yeah. Are, are we the bad guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's Warforged. And I didn't yeah. realize this until we started uh, talking about Eberron Rise from the last war, that there were larger ver- – most, most of the Warforged that I've known about yeah. were humanoid-sized. Yeah. Um, but there are ones that were much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So there are um, Warforged Titans and then the Warforged Colossus. And – the Warforged Colossus is um, this new thing that we've rolled out, and it's kind of basically it's a kaiju. It's a giant oh. Pacific Rim sized, probably two to three hundred feet tall, um, massive construct. And 
Kenneth at that time was being bankrolled by Sire or Siri. I think I've heard Keith Baker pronounce it Siri. I've always pronounced it Sire, but I've heard him say Siri. So now I'm trying to adjust myself. But Siri. Siri. How do you pronounce yourself? Siri, how do you pronounce? I pronounce it Siri. Uh, (laughs) But I have to do that in Keith Baker's voice. But anyway, um, so Siri was was this massive – they were just super wealthy, and they were bankrolling um, all the the Kenneth house to make these Warforged. And so it was kind of uh, Kenneth's Manhattan Project. Um, to do the Colossus. And um, so they built these things. They started building them. And right about the end of the last war, maybe, you know, I don't know, three or a month maybe before the end of the last war or before the cataclysm happened, um, they rolled these things out. And they lumbered out of their mountainside, um, you know, basically other, you know, well, I guess you'd call it a foundry or something. Whatever like facility that. it was yeah. that they made. Yeah, this massive facility. And they just they they lumbered out of there and they started to just obliterate stuff. And at that point, Siri thought, you know, this is it. We've we've won the war. Everything's gonna be fine. We're gonna crush the Carnathian and we're gonna be great. So um, but then the cataclysm happens mm. and turns the whole basically all of Siri into a into the Mornlands. And nobody knows what happened to these things, these Colossus. These classide, they they just disappeared, and they were all kind of contained within this area mm. because they didn't, you know, all the war, all these armies had come to Syria to to take it over and destroy it because they were like, well, if we destroy Syria, then we we crush the Warforge effort and the Kenneth House, and then that's it. We've we've won the war. We we can now you know go on with doing whatever we were going to do, but the cataclysm happens, and then. Now it's a big mystery. So the whole thing about the game is is if you're playing after the last war and after the Mornlands have been sort of happened, then now you can like you know do, you know you can go back into Siri and try to find where these Warforged classes were and where they fell. Did they explode? Were they you know melted down? And so as an adventurer, now you will probably get approached by. Um, maybe a Kenneth uh, Dragmark House uh, emissary who says, hey, we want you to go you know, into the Mornland and we want you to go into uh, a Warforged Colossus and pull out what they call the docents, these, these sort of places or these objects that contain the sort of artificial intelligence of these Warforged Colossus. Because how those things operated is that you could operate – a whole Colossus with just one operator, kind of like a Jaeger in Pacific Rim. Um, But sometimes you'd have a team of maybe up to seven that would operate different arms and legs and weapons and all that. And um, so to go in and get these, and it was a docent network. So there were were a bunch of these different docents that were hooked up to each other. And then the person who controlled it would wear this giant sort of silver helmet with like organic tendrils that are wired to their head and they could sort of consciously be in telepathic link with the whole Colossus and make it move and look oh. and, and shoot. And so blast these Colossuses did not have sentience. They didn't um, as like an autonomous unit. Like they actually had to have people inside it to run it because when they were developing it, they're like, whoa, this is way too crazy. We've got to have somebody who can control this thing. Otherwise, if it becomes sentient on its own, like, you know, this thing would just destroy the world or who knows what it would do. Yeah. Kind of probably what Elon Musk is worried about with actual artificial intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's like, yeah, you know, you've got this massively powerful thing and, you know, how, you know, you've got to have somebody. And so there were these, you know, mage rights that would, you know, 
be the people who would put on the helmet and, and operate these. Were they these usually wizards or, 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 or someone who could yeah. control magic? Yeah, somebody who controlled magic. Um, and maybe there would be, uh, you know, some, you know, military, you know, somebody who'd gone up through the ranks and, and was, you know, loyal to um, the Kenneth Dragonmark house or loyal to Siri because they were kind of both same at that, that, that point in time. How many colossuses were, were made? They, it's kind of uncertain. The, there were, you know, more than 10. Okay. Um, but there weren't, there weren't a lot of them. There were probably, you know, definitely less than 100, probably less than 50. Wow. Okay. So, so just a couple of dozen then. Yeah. There was a, it was a massive undertaking, took lots of money. But at that time, you know, Siri was super wealthy and, uh, and they had the money to do it. And they and thought they could buy their way out of the war. And you said that was, that development happened relatively close to when the cataclysm happened. Yeah. So, yeah, we're thinking probably three weeks before the cataclysm happened. So, oh, wow. So that was when the first Colossus were rolled off. Yeah. And then was they... Like three weeks before that yeah. happened. So they were super successful. And when they were going, because they're, you know, they had these um, kyber crystals inside there and they could, um, f- you know, shoot out, f- you know, fire from their eyes or a big beam from their chest or they could, you oh, know, wow. blast wind or they have you know, massive um, earth uh, crystals that grow around their hand and they can just smash things to pieces. So they were um, just wrecking machines. And yeah, if, if, if the, the cataclysm hadn't happened, that would have been it. Um, if the Mornlands weren't created, yeah. maybe that was the reason why they well, weren't created. Yeah, and that's... Or, or why the, 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 the huge explosion happened was because yeah. right, this, this escalated, we're just going to escalate it even further and yeah. end all of it. Yeah, t- for sure. And that's, you know, another thing about the mystery of why the Morlands happened, the cataclysm happened, is like nobody knows who did it, nobody knows why, but with the advent of the Colossi, now it starts to kind of pull it together a bit more like, okay, this was kind of that trigger moment where it was like whoever did it, whoever, you know, triggered that thing, whether it was, you know, somebody on Eberron or, or an entity outside of it, um, that was the moment where they're like, okay, now it has to be done. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's a trip. I love the idea of playing as an adventuring party who is going in to find these answers, like, you know, meeting with people who, oh, maybe they were, you know, uh, survivors who were inside one of these things yeah. as it happened, and they've, you know, eked out an existence or or some kind of magical thing happened that fused the sentience of one of the pilots with one of these colossi, yeah. and it's still alive <laughs> yeah, somehow, totally. lumbering around, because nobody knows what's happening within the Mornlands right no. now, right? And the Mornland is a bizarre place, and it has, like, an effect. So, um, you know, you could go to one of these colossuses or colossi and, and see it embedded in maybe the side of a granite cliff. Like, weird stuff happens in the Mornland. Or it could be, you know, floating. Oh, you it's, it's like, it's... Fused yeah. with the rock of the cliff. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. Or it's like you know a colossi that's that's floating in the air, you know, and Ooh. you've got to get up to it. So or the one that you just see the hand sticking out of the ground, like you know, Escape from New York or whatever. Like it's like you know, <laughs> damn dirty ass. <laughs> um, so it, it's like uh, so anything can happen in the Moorlands. So and also you can enter into these things and walk around. They're hollow. And it's kind of like if you think of like um, like Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind, if you've ever seen that, um, it's this – you go inside this space and then, of course, the Mornland has, has infested. The magic and weirdness of the Mornland has invaded the space. So anything can go on in there. You might encounter the, – the docent could be talking to you as you're, as you're traveling through it. And it's like, yeah. what are you doing, Greg? <laughs> Why are you I coming? can't allow yeah. you to do that, <laughs> yeah. Dave. Don't, don't enter this – 
don't enter this door, you know. And That's where I am. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting closer. <laughs> so it, it, it could be thwarting you or it could be that, you know, maybe one of the dragon shards broke and the fire elemental is conscious and it's, and it's you know, now still inhabiting the, the hollow body of this, this colossus. And you, oh, you're gotta, the, so the, the dragon shard is the thing that would have powered the, the earth elemental yeah, armor and the yeah. fire things that you were talking about. Yeah. Those are the same things that are used in the transportation, the, yep. the elemental galleons and whatnot. Yeah, 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 the airships. Yeah. yeah, so so those things, and those could either just be randomly, chaotically doing their own thing or they could be under charge of the docent. The docent mm-hmm. could be benevolent or hostile depending on how you respond, you know. Um, uh, and, the, and for these colossi, the docent was not given life. Right, you were saying that like there were there had to be people who were uh, yeah who were operating it's it operating but it. So it has a limited yeah it has a limited um, sort of power. I guess you could say it doesn't actually control the consciousness of the colossus, but um, and it's it's you know built into its structure that it isn't able to actually make the thing get up and move. But with the power of a mind from a mage or whoever whoever's you know geared to run it, you can actually then override that sort of lockdown or lock out and then access the the body and muscles or whatever this colossus and make it get up and move around. So, so there's a lot of chance for these things to be used oh, yeah. for ill oh, yeah. and not for good. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of part of the thing of like why a lot of, I think a lot of stuff, um, a lot of, you know, adventures in Eberron are going to be like get into the Mornland and explore it and find these things that were lost. Like find out if you could find a Kenneth Foundry and maybe get a docent that hasn't come off the line yet or, oh. um, you know, find maybe a, a Colossus that was in the process of being built but just hadn't, you know, been wired yet. There might be one intact. So Right, because you mentioned that their foundry was in the side of a mountain. Right? Yeah. So that could have survived. Sure. Or, you know, even it could have been caved in and hard to get to, but if you yeah. can get to it, you might be able to find something underneath. Yeah. And, and, you know, another foundry, there might have been more than one uh, foundry. You know, you could find one on the side of the mountain. You could find one underground. Mm. There might have been, you know. The secret bunker. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, you know. And it is, it is like, it is the Manhattan Project of, you know, the, the, the can of foundry. So that they've, they've probably split it up into bits and, you know, had, you know, uh, secrets that are in one, you know, sort of lab somewhere underground. And they might have the other part of the secrets over in, you know, another, you know, in the mountainside foundry. So, um, you know, part of it is solving that mystery, gathering those elements together. And And a good DM can use all that. Yeah. And, you know, and then also, you know, starting up the electric rail again. You know, it's like the lightning rail. Oh, to get through the Moorland. That's a big Yeah, because there was a big one that went right the way through, you know, Siri and, you know, got from one end to the other. And it's like, okay, you got to, you know, get that thing started up and to reestablish commerce, the back and forth. And if you can do that, that'd be great. So, um, so there's, Plenty of uh, adventure stuff in the Mornlands, but uh, you know, one of the things you can encounter there are these these Warforged Colossus. And I love the idea of them using that as the as the MacGuffin or the 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 at least the adventure starter for going in there and yeah. finding out what's going to happen. Um, and the fact that, and this is just another example of how Eberron is a way to bring in tropes from other genres yeah. that you might not see in fantasy very often. It's like I'm immediately thinking of like. Cold War spy kind of yeah. you know almost Terminator two like having having some you know b- ability to find like the secret lair and then figure, you know be in the right place at the right time to stop the machines from when they take over and yeah. all these type of things like you know those are th- uh, 
tropes that have really been used in sci-fi and and modern fantasy. Yeah. And here's a way to bring that into uh, you know a D and D fantasy multiverse. Uh, oh yeah. Type expression for sure. And you like you know you could have like an enigma machine you know kind of thing like oh, there is this you could have it where you've got um, this this you know this this piece of paper that's got all kinds of cryptic stuff on it and you're like oh you know there was a translator that you could find that was carried in one of these colossi um, and we think we know where it is but you've got to go into the Mornland and find it you know and you get in there and you go and you find this colossi and you and then you know the hole inside of the colossi is filled with you know undead you know the Mornland has like reanimated the bodies of all the people that were in there you know and then you've got to fight through them and find them the Enigma machine and you know it's like yeah you could totally Basically, you could watch any sort of spy, you know, 1942 spy movie and then just reskin it and yeah. you've got a great adventure. That's awesome. Good yeah. stuff. All yeah. right. Well, my uh, version of Eberron is definitely going to have Colossi tromping all around. They're fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to write. It should be fun. Yeah. All right, great. Well, if people have any questions about uh, Warforge, Colossi, the Mornlands, or any of the above, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, uh, I'm at Adam of Adventure at Adam of Adventure. You are at of an atom. Wait, no, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> I, I am an atomic particle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you so much. We'll be back with some more lore in the weeks to come. Cool. That's awesome. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Wasn't that a really good lore that you should have known already? Yes. Yes. That's what we're going to call it from now on. Lore, you really should have known. Right. Like, come on, dude. You should know this. Have, can I ask you a question that has nothing to do with lore you should know? Or do you do? That's lore you should know. What? <laughs> lore you should ignore. Lore you should snore. <laughs> All right. We got so many seg- lore, uh, segments. Lore you should pour. Oh. Uh-huh. I know exactly the dragon talk that we're going to use that one for. Lord, you hint, hint, if you know what I mean. Libations for of the nine realms. Foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen Between Two Ferns? I have. How great is that show? It is the best. It really is. I often think about that show when, we're when you and I are, are uh, interviewing famous people. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Some ferns. We need some ferns. We need something. What's the D and D equivalent of ferns that um, we can between two uh, tree ants? I guess you could call us ferns. Oh, <laughs> should we could just refer to each other as fern? Like those and are then our first the, names. The guest would be yes. <laughs> in between us when we interview them. Anyway, it, I was thinking of us so often watching it. It's so funny. It's very good. Yeah, the the interviews themselves are fantabulous. Yeah, that's just the best. I know. And there's a, there's a Netflix movie out now. Saw it. Go check it out. Yeah, I became obsessed fairly quickly. It's it's easy to do so. Yes. Yeah, there is there's hilarity. And it's an inspiration. Yes. Jack Galifianakis has inspired me. Yes. <laughs> if he can do it, surely we can We all can. Try. Um, but you know who else can do it? Dots. Exactly. That's right. So let's uh, listen to our interview uh, with Jess and Joey uh, from the Dots Project. Awesome. Right here. Again, this was recorded about a month ago. So if there's any references to things happening in temporal time for the beginning of September and of August, that's why it might sound a little bit odd. But other than that, uh, I love everything uh, that uh, these two individuals are doing for 
the the hobby and uh, for making sure everyone has access to D and D stuff out there. So me too. Give a good listen and support them where you can. We have two amazing guests here in the studio. How are you guys doing? I'm good. How are you? You are Jess Dempsey. Yes, I am. And you are Joey Iovino. Yes. <laughs> Glance down to make sure. Just to double check. Yes, exactly. Uh, so how's it going? You guys good. are collectively Dots RPG? Yes. We yeah, are. We run, uh, we run the Dots RPG project. It's a 501c3 that's focused on improving accessibility and gaming for disabled individuals. Awesome. And how long have you guys been doing that? Um, a little a over year-ish. a year. year-ish. Yeah, a little over a year. What uh, what drew you to, to to doing this? Oh, <laughs> that's a fun story. Uh, no, it's a good one, though. So uh, 2017, this started as a project between two friends, uh, Jack and his friend D. Mm-hmm. They actually met at a convention, and Jack realized that there was this phenomenal dungeon master at the table next to him, went to go sit down at a game, and realized that he was blind. And he's mm. like, well... That the dungeon master was blind? Yeah. So D is completely blind, and he was like, well, how do you read the books? How do you learn everything you need to learn? How do you play? Yeah. And it became this whole exploration of um, learning that D's friends and his players would read the books to him. He would memorize all 300-some-odd pages what? and then just run with it. Um, dice became, you know, dice rolling was his players would roll, and it was very largely based on trust. Uh, so they started this whole project. Jack's like, you know, we're going to transcribe books for you. We're going to make books into Braille for you. We're going to create Braille dice. And uh, they hit the ground running with it. Um, I came in maybe six, seven months later just to help them out uh, after D passed away. Mm-hmm. He passed away January 2018. Aww. And we are continuing all of this for him, like in his memory. This is everything that he wanted to do was bring the world of tabletop gaming to blind players and other disabled players. Uh, so it's, it's actually really exciting that we fell into it. Yeah. Well, how exactly did you get involved with, with these, this two, these two friends? I met Jack through a dice collecting group. You know, one of those. One of those dice collecting <laughs> groups. Where, one of those. Was it like on Facebook or something like that? Yeah. Which shall remain nameless. Yeah. <laughs> um, I may or may not be very deeply involved in Dice Maniacs Club okay. uh, for many years. Uh-huh. Um, so I met him there, and he was looking for a way to redesign the dice or like make something better or look into like how to actually produce them. Um, and then we actually went and met him at PAX Unplugged and just got involved. We're like, hey, we'll help out. Joey's been doing a lot of like redesign on them. Um, like this latest version that we have now is stuff that Joey designed. Yeah, the, and the way just, the orientation edge works yeah. and all that was my contri- my first contribution to everything. And she was helping him out with social media, marketing, all that stuff. Everything. That's so <laughs> everything cool. Else. We were essentially doing most of the work, mm-hmm. as it were. And then uh, we just, it, it turned into a, a full-blown thing. Uh, a lot of different people with different disabilities were saying, like, hey, we need help. Like, is there anything that you can do for us? Um, and we realized that the best case scenario would be we formed an actual charity, mm-hmm. uh, 501c3 approved charity. And we're essentially the middleman. We're the facilitators between publishers and big game developers and the individuals that need the assistance. So we're putting everybody in touch with the experts that they need right. to make sure that we can get the content out to everybody that needs it. That's uh, amazing, and I think they're you know with the growth of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role playing games in general, um, you know they're uh, part of I think the growth has been through 
groups that you may not associate with playing Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. right? You know, and so we've we focused a lot on uh, you know bringing more women into the game, more mm-hmm. people of color, and then you know people with disabilities is a, is another big part of this. And and uh, there's no reason for them not to be able to tell stories with their friends and you know use their imaginations, just like uh, right. uh, uh, you know all all the materials allow for. Uh, um, uh, uh, you know, folks out there to do that. So yeah. here it is, bringing it to more and more more yep. people. And we're working really closely with D Beyond on helping make their website more accessible because it's not great for screen readers right now. Yeah. Um, there's some code that has to get fixed and and optimized, um, but. For many visually impaired people, D and D Beyond was their first opportunity to ever access the game. Yeah, because you know, it was online. Could, yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. they couldn't read the books. Um, Braille books don't exist, and we're going to be working on that. Yeah, but having access to D and D Beyond is, you know, can open up a whole new world to somebody that never got to never got to play before. Now, when you say it's, you know, a lot of the the text probably works with most uh, software that is made for visually impaired people, right, to be able to do um, that type of stuff. Yeah, it can. Uh, it the short version is it kind of depends on how the website was coded. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like a Flash website, anything that's really heavily graphics-based wouldn't really work. Yeah. Um, so there's stuff that's built into like the HTML that tells the program, okay, read here. This is a title or this mm. is a paragraph right. or this is an image. So there's a lot of that back-end stuff that just needs to get um, optimized. But it's it's looking really good, and the, the team at D&D Beyond is making great progress on it so far. What about a, a character sheet? Because I would imagine that would be pretty difficult to translate yeah. into something that could be you know read through Braille. Yeah, um, character sheets, as far as printed versions, um, we have things that we're working on, and you can kind of make anything that's static, like the type of, uh, like the word strength, the word dex, like that word is never going to change. Mm -hmm. So we can put that in Braille. But then as far as the numbers, that can change during play and that can change, you know, as you level up. So we're working on a way to have a um, dynamic Braille character sheet. Um, In the end, it's probably going to be a lot easier to do something that is electronic Mm -hmm. um, and you know, just have it be like a basic Word document or a basic Excel document that can keep track of your stats for you. But we're experimenting. Nice. Um, and, I mean, I guess that falls into playtesting like anything else, right, mm-hmm. where you work uh, with um, the, the the people who would, uh, the, these products are designed for and yeah. feedback and iterate and continue to, you know, uh, uh, make changes and things like that. And it looks like you've been doing that with these, these yeah. dice. So we've actually got a great team of volunteers. Um, one of our counterparts that, that runs this whole thing with us, uh, Tyler Palermo, is visually impaired. Um, they do still have some partial vision, but not enough to, say, read text. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> any new dice that we have, we just send them Same out. Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> like, guinea pig time, go test this. Does this work? Does this not work? Because uh, we don't know. Like, Joey yeah. and I are not the experts. We have no disabilities, and, and we don't want to speak for, we don't want to represent a population that we don't know or that we can't experience or, or truly understand. Yeah. Um, but we're both very good at networking and talking to people and, and connecting and, and getting the people in touch that need to be in touch. So when it comes to actually learning the things that we do, we're relying on everybody that's part of our team that has these disabilities that can speak to what their real life is. Yeah, um, It's been a really interesting learning experience. I mean, I know when we first started, we thought that blind was like this binary. You either see or you don't. Yeah. And that's really not the case. There's different 
types of blindness. There's different levels of it. There's different degrees. Um, so it's been really interesting to learn and, and see what it is that we can do to help people. That's very cool. Um, I uh, played a, a blind character in a yes. TV stream yes. last fall. Yes, I remember. Um, and uh, <laughs> blind temple. Uh, yes, <laughs> blind temple. I know, but I was <laughs> I was literally going to use the phrase. It was an eye opening experience. Was it? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, so that's why I giggled. Um, but uh, but no, it was wonderful working with uh, Blind Temple to uh, understand that, and that was one of the first things that he he told me that it's not it's not a on or off. It is yep. it is a spectrum of people who you know can see a little bit or see other things, and you know uh, be sensitive to certain things. And so that's where you know I developed the idea that that character had a sensitivity to to magic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so that he might see things that were specifically divine or more magical, yeah, um, you know, or at least de- detect them, not necessarily see them, but, you know, um, but it was very, as you said, a learning experience because, you know, and that's one of the great things about Dungeons and Dragons is you can put yourself into the shoes of a character who uh, uh, exactly. is experiencing these things and it, it, it changed the, the way I, I, I thought about it and, and it was um, really exciting just on a character level right. how to experience a fantasy world uh, that right. is only observed through, through the other senses. Um, and I and I it, I applaud you guys for going into the actual you know mundane part of playing mm-hmm. the game and making that easier so that the imagination of uh, these these players can can continue to sing. Yeah, it's a really great thing with tabletop games because it's all imagination based. You know, sure there's rule books, sure there's guidelines on on what you can do, but other than that, it's it's a free game, you know, you could do whatever you want. Yeah. And it's really interesting to be able to explore a space like you did, like with a character with a disability, something that you may never understand in your life, see how that affects you as a character. Um, it's really interesting having, uh, we have people come to us frequently asking about that. Like, you know, I, I want to play a character with some sort of disability, blind, deaf, hard of hearing, uh, physical disabilities. How do I do that? Properly. Yeah. How do I do that correctly? Yeah. Um, and we'll put them in touch with somebody that has those the lines of disabilities that they're looking for. But it's really, it's heartwarming to see that people want that experience. People want to understand. You know, they don't want to just do it to be the token, you know, different character. They want to do it to truly understand what that experience is to the best that they can. Yeah. Well, and I like that what you guys are, are doing is trying to... Um, Level the playing field to a certain mm-hmm. extent, right? Like where where it you know they can participate just like anybody else at the table with the tools that you're providing to them, so it doesn't become uh, you know the odd odd person out, yeah, right. And I think that's really important. And you know, part of the the talks I had with with Blind Temple was you know not to make it about so much about this character being blind. Like they, yep. they're they're an adventurer. They're on their story. Their things are happening. Oh, they just happen to be to yep. be blind. And I thought that was really. Um, uh, really compelling, uh, yeah. especially with the lighthearted kind of nature of the clerical air show too. It was, <laughs> it was really just fun. It helps uh, a little bit to jump into it, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, what are you, what are your major initiatives? I mean, I know you're working on these dice. You're also working on translating the th- uh, the actual source books into physical products too. Yes. Um, so the dice we've had out for a while, and uh, we are donating them to schools, libraries, game stores, anybody to have on hand as part of their lending library in case somebody that's visually impaired comes in and wants to sit down and play a game, they can pull out and be like, you know, you can roll your own dice. And that's something that people that are blind or people that have been blind since birth have never had that experience. Mm -hmm. 
And we all know, like, you can't not roll your own dice. (laughs) Like, especially those really tense moments where you're waiting for a crit or something like that. It's so much more exciting and it's so much better to be able to roll that and know that yourself instead of having to ask your friend to do it for you. Yeah. And then, you know, the whole table gets the excitement before you know what happened. Oh, yeah. Um, So that's why when when we create these... uh, even on our website, we we have the uh, 3D models available for free download. Um, anybody with a 3D printer can print their own set. Um, That's so great. And donate to you know friends or something like that. Yeah, and we've got we've got the prototypes or or you know the the samples of what you got here mm-hmm. uh, at the thing. And you know we were talking about before we started this interview. Um, <laughs> you know just the 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 simple mechanical nature uh, that I you know most. People probably wouldn't even consider the fact of like which is up and down. Yep. You know, right. like when you're when you're looking at a the face of a die, you can see a seven. You're like, okay, that's up, that's down, and right. you know, for the sixes and the nines, there's a little marker. That's one, yeah, right? But um, but uh, essentially, with with Braille, you have to do an orientation. Yeah, you have to know which way to place your finger to read it correctly. Otherwise, you know, the cells will be shifted, and you wind up with a different number or letter. Yeah, and that's something, I mean, did you guys think about that before you started or did that, was that part we of the iteration process? Yeah. That was just, <laughs> oh no, we have to do this. We How learned. do we make this work? Yeah. That's fascinating. It's fascinating to, to you know, so yeah, right, there's a dotted line now on mm-hmm. each one of these faces of, uh, of, of the die mm-hmm. that I'm trying to read it like, like a, a, a visually impaired person would to, to be able to, to figure out which, uh, which way is which, right? And so right. this is a 20. Yep. Um, and uh, another fascinating thing that I didn't know about was that there's no numbers in Braille. Correct. Yeah, it's only the letters. So letter A stands for number one. Letter B stands for number two. Um, and traditionally, the letters that are used are only A through J. And then if you want to do a two-digit number, like you'll do AA for 11, AB for 12. Um, if you're using a number, you should have a pound sign in front of it. What? people nowadays call a hashtag sign. Yeah. You know, that, that number sign. Hashtag um, one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Tweet it out. Everybody go. Everybody go. Hashtag one. Yeah, but that is to show the reader that this letter is supposed to be a number. Right. So you would have pound one or pound two, right. which is really pound A or pound B. Uh, we strip that out of most of our dice to keep them as small as possible because if you're looking at, you know, when you're getting at 20, when you're looking at two-digit numbers, you're looking at three different letters, essentially, that you need to have on the face of a die. And those become huge. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at it to be completely legible, you're looking at like a 50 to 60 millimeter die. Those are big. That's a big die. <laughs> These come in at uh, 30 millimeter, which is about double the size of a standard set of dice. Right. Um, and when you say 30 millimeter, it's the, the length along one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole... The whole. the whole thing. Oh, it's like, the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Like standard dice are I think, sixteen. I think it's like thirty-one and standard sixteen. So it's mm-hmm. just just under double. Interesting. Yeah. So um, when we got those out to people and they got to test them for the first time, everyone's like, "Yeah, it's big, but it's it's not too big. It's not uncomfortable um, to hold and to handle." Hmm. Um, and you guys three uh, D print these? Yes. Yeah. How much is that? opened up the doors to doing more stuff like this. It's the only way that this has been possible. 
Um, because even now with this design, um, that orientation edge that we have, uh, we're going to run into problems if we go try to mass produce because everything in Braille needs to be very precise. Like we can't have any jagged edges or overflow or anything like that. Um, you know, you pick up a standard set of dice every once in a while, something will have a little chip or something will have a little, um, flaw and that can make or break what this is. Mm. Um, but the only way that we can get this done is through 3D printing, and it's been phenomenal. Having access to do this is something that wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. Yeah, with the rise of, of 3D printing, yeah. it really has changed a lot. Um, and uh, uh, Joey, you were saying that you were spending a lot of time with your 3D <laughs> printer. Do you have a name for it? Uh, no, no, not, we have two of them, so, uh, they're not quite twins. So you've got two they're, kids? They're, like, Ir- they're uh, Irish twins, so we got them about nine months apart. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of works. Um, one of them, Jess, actually won. This, yeah, um, yeah. We, we had the first one donated from money that was donated to the charity, and we were like, all right, this is awesome, we can get a, a decent 3D printer now, let's, mm-hmm. you know, start moving forward, and we printed with it for months before anything had happened, you know, there was never any issues. It was just really uh, having to put the supports in on our own, make sure none of the Braille cells failed, make sure none of the orientation edges failed, because anything that overhangs, uh, you know, really needs to be supported going all the way up in the files. Otherwise, it's not going to print right. Yeah. And that's really where a lot of the trouble comes in. Yeah, it's a very the, the precise. recessed face and mm-hmm. then stuff sticking out. So whichever way the, the die is leaning, the stuff on top is usually fine. Uh, but anything that just hangs out over the side, is, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, you move it this much and it doesn't print right. It's, uh, so there's, there's hours A lot of trial and, and error. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially learning oh, yeah. because we were new to 3D printing in general. Like there's entire communities based around this. You know, this is what people live every single day yeah. um, and so we were learning and it's it's a very precise <laughs> uh, item but it can work wonders when it's when it's yeah. perfect yeah, the possibilities are really out there and that's some of the other stuff we've been exploring is like what else can we make with this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. those kind of things like uh, what's something that you guys have a need for that we haven't done yet that theoretically could be 3d printed you know right and you know anything that we get if Sometimes I have to reach out for a little bit of design help because we're still learning all this, so I don't really right. know how to build all of it. <laughs> but it's worked so far, so no complaints. That's cool. About how long does it take to print out uh, uh, an entire set of polyhedral dice? Uh, four hours, I think, is the max on one of them. Uh, I think It the, depends on the size yeah. of the piece. It mm. depends on the size, um, if we're using the gray resin, the green resin. Yeah. It, it's, there's a lot of factors. The green... Uh, typically, I believe the D20s come in at about four hours and 20 so. minutes. Yeah. Oh, a single die is four hours? Well, it depends on the build plate. So originally we had it set up with all seven on the build plate, build a full set at a time. Mm-hmm. But we realized that it kind of wasn't working out great that way because it was a little scrunched together mm-hmm. and, you know, the way everything was sitting. So we revamped it to print, you know, 66s at a time, mm-hmm. 64s at a time. I think we do three D20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the longest one. I think the sixes go for about two and a half hours, give or take. So it's not terrible. Uh, you yeah. know, we're trying to just essentially mass produce as best as I can. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and they all, six of these, six of these, six of these, right. six of these. And they all need a bit of, like, finishing afterwards. You know, you can't just get them straight off the printer. They need to be polished and sanded and all that yeah. stuff. They have to go through you know, 
a little bit of IPA bath, clean them off, sand them, cure them. So <laughs> there, there's tons of work that we put it's into them afterwards too. Which wow. Yeah. Yeah. These even get um, clear coated with UV resistant spray. Right. So they can't crack or chip afterwards. Or degrade from the sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it also it helps them, you know, stick together a little bit. So Yeah. Did you say an IPA bath? It, yeah. Not the beer. <laughs> I mean, what does that, the beer have to do with I, this? Do I you have to take a beer. bath? I drink the beer and the dice go in the solution. I like no, the best I, part about where you're you're not drinking the beer. You're just bathing in yeah, the beer. Just soaking it in. Yeah, it's all through the pores. Osmosis alcoholic right here. <laughs> um, it's isopropyl alcohol, like rubbing oh, okay. alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, didn't, I didn't realize that was a short shorthand for isopropyl. I'm just so used to saying it back and forth with her. I didn't even I think know. about it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so what you're saying, so the answer to the question, so the, the, the D20 is about four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we're saying about two to three each for these. For the so mid-range, you're yeah. talking about, you know, 24 hours to print out, you know. I'll print. probably get about three sets out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's And then they take, lot. what, six to ten hours of post-processing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the hard part, you know, sitting down and just sanding all of them. Yeah. You know, and then washing them all off again Get yeah. them ready, and then even the clear coating takes a while because you got to spray them and then let them dry, flip them over, spray them again. Yeah, yeah, it's a process, but it's um, meticulous for a reason. You know, we want to make sure that they're the best um, quality that they can be. And so, even when we make this, I think we come in cost wise at about twenty bucks, twenty five, thirty bucks, something Give or like take. that. Yeah, it depends on the cost of the resin, which has been going down a little bit recently, which is yeah. nice. So twenty bucks for a set. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think we're coming in at like. 20, 20 to, to 25, 30. give or take. Yeah. yeah. Um, and compa- that's just materials, though. You're not factoring in We're not labor. Factoring labor. No. no. Yeah. You know, buying the masks for spraying. And how much like, How much is your labor? You don't want to know. Apparently nothing. Yeah, yeah right. But uh, compared to, you know, you go to uh, shapeways.com, which is wonderful, uh, but that set runs about $85. And uh, so, yeah, for, for folks who might not know, what is, what is Shapeways? Uh, Shapeways is a 3D printing service, uh, shapeways.com, and they've got a little bit of everything on there. Um, and we put our files up on there a long time ago and made them available to people for purchase. And so from Shapeways, you can purchase items pre-printed from them. Um, and a lot of stores may have, like, a markup on it to get profit, and we didn't do that because we wanted to keep the cost as low as possible. Right. But even printing that, it's about $85, I think, last we saw. Yeah, give or take. Um, the Shapeways doesn't even make really anything on them. That's just that's the cost of material because yeah. they know it's from us. So yep. they, they've been very cool about it too, which is awesome. And they've also got, you know, $10 million <laughs> industrial printers. Yeah. So theirs are a lot different than what we're working off of. So um, did these come from Shapeways? Yes, they did. These purple ones. Mm-hmm. And then the resin ones that you got here? Yeah. These you guys did? Yep. Yes. That's off the printer at home process. I'm not lie. I like yours better because those are solid. <laughs> yeah, Every, everybody likes the feel of them. They're a lot. Yeah, they feel like 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 uh, uh, a set of dice that I would have. They yeah, have closer to that weight. The the shapeways ones are, and then just I mean, I guess you could print it out in resin on shapeways too. Uh, no, so that's actually um, uh, nylon, um, and they print it. It's weird. They kind of suspend it in a powder, and then like. Jello, you're kind of creating something inside. It's mm-hmm. it's a very strange process, but that's why it's so expensive. They, they do have a few um, different materials that you're allowed to purchase with, but I don't believe that you can get them. Yeah, we can't do resin, resin through them. Interesting. Yeah. Why is that so? It's just the types of machines that they have and what mm. works better for mass production. 
Oh, okay. um, it, you know, with them, they're cranking stuff out 24 hours a day. Yeah. Um, it's also the stuff that they use is also very, very highly detailed. You know, the imperfections are almost yeah. nothing uh, compared to sometimes we have a little bit of things that we have to contest with. So we have, you know, dice that we have to get rid of that are failed die. And I, we have a bag of them at home. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Failed dice. Yeah, yes. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's like and it could be like jail. a small imperfection, but if we don't think that it's optimal for a blind user, we're not going to send them out. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. If you can't read the Braille perfectly, if, if it doesn't pass our perfect quality control, then, then we can't get them out to anybody. Now, do you guys do the quality control or do yes. you, you know, make sure a, a, a visually impaired person can read them? Uh, so it started out with a little bit of both. Um, we had, um, like I said, Tyler works with us. Tyler tested a whole bunch of them from the beginning. Yeah. And um, with different types of material that we had, like we had a filament printer before and it just really wasn't working out very well. Um, and when we switched to the resin, uh, so they've tested it and we've gotten it out to a whole bunch of other people that have also tested it. Um, so we know, you know, like all the tops should be flat. Here's what all the standards um, should be. And, and we just make sure to go from there. Yeah, whenever we change something, we try to get a set out to Tyler usually. Or, uh, yeah. you know, if we're working on a new D6, if I'm playing with something, we'll try and get one over just so we can have that feedback. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, so how long have you guys been playing Dungeons & Dragons? What's, what's been, how, how did this get started? <laughs> She's uh, my Jerry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Joey actually hasn't played until I roped him into it. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was the video game one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the same thing. It's fine. Yeah. I was uh, high school in 3.5 days. Nice. So I was in 3.5 um, for a couple years. And then I stopped, you know, life happens. Um, and then I picked it back up um, four years ago. Give or take. Four, yeah. five years ago. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> when I picked up my books again, <coughs> when I picked up the 5e book, I was like, I did not expect any of this to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's become like, a whole vo- vocation. It is. And I just... Um, she got me playing stuff on my PlayStation like Neverwinter. And she's like, you're, yeah. you're getting ready. You're getting there. You know? yeah. And then it was like, hey, you want to play a game? And I was like, all right. And me being like a JRPG guy in general, I just started, oh, ooh, let me create a character. Ooh, yep. let me create a character. Ooh, let me create a character. <laughs> That's awesome. And then he discovered Homebrew. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. That was, that was a bad thing for me. Why? Um, some of my characters are, <laughs> let's say, interesting. Interesting? <laughs> yes. Okay. But uh, I just I would read through just pages and pages of stuff that people have created and be like I want a piece of this a piece of that mm-hmm. nice <laughs> so you're connecting them all together. oh yeah and so crazy character and your you're favorite like, let's make it as broken as possible I don't know if I want to say it you know <laughs> he's your favorite my my favorite character is Sir Stuffington Knightsbane the third he's an animated teddy bear <laughs> oh, okay and uh, we <laughs> we actually went over together how to make it as interesting as it could be in the context of how to play a character like that. So he was uh, immune to poison because he doesn't have blood, immune to fall damage, uh, resistant to bludgeoning damage, but very vulnerable to fire, um, half walking speed if he gets wet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Advantage on deception if you sit still. Yeah. Uh, Like, it was just a whole list of these really cool little (laughs) things that we came up with for it. It was really fun, though. Oh, that's cool. And this is what I deal with when I play with him. (laughs) Because I'm the DM for our games. Nice. Um, Sir Steffington. 
Yes. <laughs> it's, she, yeah. has to, she has to deal with my craziness. Nor, the game we're playing now with a few friends, uh, Pete and Sam, They uh, it's a regular, just straight out of the book, 5e, but I still yeah. come up with dumb stuff. <laughs> so. But awesome. it always adds more to the game. And that's why, like, you know, when we take the homebrew stuff, when you take any homebrew stuff, it's like, okay, is this broken? Can we make it better? Like, you know, we don't want it to be a game-breaking homebrew character. Mm -hmm. But we can still have fun with it. Um, Yeah, it's only game-breaking if the uh, dungeon master is not willing to to roll with it. Right, right. right. Um, And, you know, all else fails. Oopies, you caught fire. Sorry. You can always burn. (laughs) There was was (laughs) way too many ways for her to kill me, even though I was resistant to a lot. It was just, it was dangerous. Yeah. It's it's hard to be a teddy bear out there. I had to to take down um, all my damage rolls by one. So if I was using a short sword, it was a D4 instead of a D6. Uh Because you were a A small? Considered tiny creature. Oh, you're actually a small bear. Yeah. Yeah. I was imagining at least, you know, man-sized bear. No. And I think we took like fairy stats or pixie stats or something like that. So Mm -hmm. not a lot of health. Nope. Uh, it added to my AC, though, a little bit, which was cool, because you're so small that it's harder to hit. Oh, right. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Picked like, up some interesting things. Four health it was really or something. Cool. Yeah, I did not have a lot of health <laughs> at level one. Did Sir Stephanie wear armor? Um, we only played him for, like, a couple of rounds. Like, I really, even if I get into a game with someone else, I want to revive him even as maybe, like, a, a flavored halfling or something. Yeah. Or an NPC or yeah, something. Yeah, but... Um, it was the psionic wasn't long armor. Enough. Yeah, so, something. He oh. pulled in some psionic yeah, stuff. Yeah, there was some too. cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think his AC starting out was it was crazy. It was something like eighteen for a bear. Yeah, for but he didn't hit very bear. hard, and he didn't have a lot of health. So, <laughs> was you he could, a fighter? No, he was a, was a he was a ranger. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to get up close and personal. Did you so. shoot a lot of things? Yeah. yeah. Psionic bow and psionic arrow. Psionic bow. The whole nine. Oh, yeah. It was very okay. cool. This is what happens when a video game player <laughs> gets involved in homebrew. I would just say a creative person, but yeah. okay. I, I, I'm okay with Well, he's like, well, I want to do this and this and this. And I'm like, all right, fine. Here's what right. homebrew looks like. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think the next step is to put a, uh, you know audio cassette recorder in <gasps> Sir Steffington. Oh, no. Like a nanny cam? <laughs> or make everyone go full <laughs> Teddy Ruxpin? Like, uh, that's, that's nightmare fuel right there. Could be yes. Could be Maybe that's the, that's the bad guy that you want to introduce as Dungeon Master is the, uh, the, the, the evil Ruxpin Teddy Ruxpin X. who's trying to destroy. Yeah, I'm liking all this things. I mean, there's no reason that that particular teddy bear couldn't have been mass-produced. <laughs> yeah, you never know. And there could be clones. That's right. There around. could be versions of you... All over the, the, the homebrew world that you guys are. <laughs> this is just getting scarier and scarier. I know. I like it. Oops. Uh, that's cool. So have you always been Dungeon Master? Uh, not in 3.5 days. I was a player. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once we started 5e, I did, what did we do? A, a game or two, I think I was a player. But I pretty much fall into a Dungeon Master role. Nice. Um, why do you and think that's that is? okay. Huh? Why do you think that is? Why, why, do, why, do you, why are you drawn to that? I... <laughs> How do I say it without sounding horrible? Um, I like torturing my players. <laughs> <laughs> you failed. A little, little I bit. Know. <laughs> it's just I, I love, um, like even outside of this, I'm a creative person. I'm, you know, I do photography. I do writing. So all of this kind of stuff, like creating a world or even if I take published content or, you know, regular uh, Watsi modules, just kind of make it my own. I love doing that kind of world building. Yeah. And... I love puzzles, and I put them through puzzles all the time. Do you love puzzles? They're, not anymore. Not my, pu- <laughs> <laughs> not my puzzles. Because the way that I make my puzzles don't make sense to anybody else. Mm. Um, but that's not my problem. That's the player's problem. Yeah. <laughs> and 
so uh, I just, I really like creating and I really like the opportunities that DMing provides. And my current players uh, with Joey, Pete, Sam, um, we have Joyce and John too, we're playing uh, Lost Minds um, because a lot of them were fairly new to the game. Right, so you started with the starter set. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, oh God, they're disasters. Yeah, we just ran <laughs> the best first kind into of a disaster. green dragon last time we played. Just why not? Sure. Uh, start, I think, start attacking. I think Sam decapitated a mayor. Yeah. yeah. A mayor? Yeah. Not not good looks. Because I thought you said mayor, like a female no. horse at no, first. No, I'm no, like, no. oh, wait, no, a no. mayor. No, this oh. is not the godfather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be. It could be. Because he gave her a bag of holding to put the orc heads in. And when they got back, she's like, oh, this is the bag for heads. And decided that his goes in the bag, too. And I'm like, you know well, what? he wanted the bag back, and he was only going to give us, like, 50 gold. That's just, <laughs> no. Sure. Okay. I, I'm seeing how this, this, this plays out. Uh, I love it, though. But, I mean, I agree it's with you. It's fun, though. It's yeah. really fun seeing what shenanigans your players can get into. And it's like, okay, well, there should be consequences for your actions. Now let's figure out what those what the, are. You know, what those are, yeah. right? Yeah. I could see that, and I mean, I I I, I play uh, a fair amount, but I enjoy dungeon mastering, not necessarily yeah. for the torturing, but just of the, um, you know, the active nature that you're always you're always coming up with something else, and sometimes as yeah. a player, there's there's just too much downtime for me where I, I get distracted. Yeah, and you had a taste at DMing one day, just right? Once for like a couple hours yeah. because she was busy working on dot stuff, oh, and yeah. we had a game with everyone, and uh, I just kind of jumped in at the last second and was like, all right, I'll, I'll take care of this and started playing around. It was, it was interesting. You know, yeah. it was kind of fun. Um, I could see myself more doing a, a complete homebrew than a module, just the way my brain works. So I would, I would like to come up with more of it on the fly. Mm. And trying to run part of the module, I, I kept getting stuck with, I, oh, I should describe this this way. And, and not that I necessarily had to, but it, you know, being the first time, it was just let me not mess up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get that, and then I think um, that's one of the arts of, of of doing it is is realizing that the module is there as a guideline. A guideline, yeah, yeah, just like the rules are, right? Yeah. And so, you know, if you improv that it looks a little bit different than the way right. it described, it really doesn't matter. Right. You know, even if it messes up whatever puzzle or whatever, they, who cares? They don't even <laughs> know that there was a puzzle there, so maybe right. there isn't one yeah. there anymore. <laughs> I had um, I, I forgot what was happening when I was DMing, but. Uh, I think they were trying to tame the wolves, and it wasn't going well. They always at all. tame the wolves. <laughs> they like always horribly. Do. Every single horribly game. Horribly bad. My girls, I was you know describing the snarling wolf charging and no trying to set up. Okay, you're gonna fight this thing, right? And then, you know, no, I can't. I want to give it some to. Like like puppies. Food. And then she rolled a twenty. Of on her animal handling, I'm like, oh, I can't take that. What away are you from gonna me. do? <laughs> that happened the last two times that we ran this, didn't it? Yeah. You got a nat twenty, and so did Brian. No, yeah. And I'm it was like. Bad. All right, I guess you have a pet wolf now. Congratulations. That's the best part of, of this game is because you're like, all right, it's a, it's a low chance, but if it does, yep. you know, anything, we'll can happen. See anything can happen. Yeah. One in 20. I'll let it go. If you yeah. get a nat 20 on something, like, completely stupid, I know. Sure, right. you can have it. I yeah. Got, I got an all mirage in uh, the you did. one, too. Oh, they're so cute. You did. That was my little pet. Yeah. You remember his name? Uh, Roger. Okay. Yeah. Did you tell uh, Annabo that? No. no. She loves the Almirages. Saw, we yeah, were with her before, so she has them all over her laptop, too. Yeah. yeah she's one of our colleagues here at D&D, and she uh, latched on to oh, that no. creature 
very much. We, I, you know, I create these sticker sheets and stuff to promote yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the books. And She's got like thirty on her laptop. Yeah, I know. Because yep. <laughs> well, there was only, if you, you know, there's only one of those stickers on each sticker sheet. <laughs> she so she just went to multiple sticker sheets and took off the Almirage and decorated her her laptop with it. I was like, all right, that's that's, that's commitment. Cute. I'm more impressed now. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So you got. Your Almirage, and uh, then someone, the others tried to get a zombie T Rex. Zombie T Rex. Oh, I'm like uh, we can't. Also, do did this. not work. We out have well. that as a sticker as well. <laughs> <laughs> if you want that, we can get good, it for you. Good to know. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll bring a I'll bring a sticker home for Sam. Sam, actually, you can have one. I put one on the back of my bike helmet so that you know I, people know that there's a zombie T Rex in my head. Yeah. I, okay. I don't know exactly what it is. I means. don't know where you're going with that. I'm not but you sure got there. Either. Yeah. Almost. It's, it's, no, no one's there. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting there together. Yeah. Okay. game. It's part of the journey. Um, uh, but that's really exciting. I'm glad that you brought uh, uh, your, your cohort into playing. And, yes. uh, you know, I mean, you've already done your mastering. You're halfway there. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, get, you, we'll get you behind the damn screen again. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's very different than, uh, than video games, right? Because, you know, there's yeah. so much, um, you know, creativity that you can do within those games, but mm-hmm. not everything. It's not, it's not right. unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a new aspect, definitely. So you said you mentioned uh, you played a lot of JRPGs. What, um, what's, what's, what's your jam? Uh, I'm going to be, probably be hated on for this, but Final Fantasy VII was amazing. I love that game. <laughs> Why would you be <laughs> hated, hated on it? saying like that? There's so many people that are like, oh, people just say that because it's so popular. And I, I really Fair. just love that game. I've beaten it so many times. I think I still own it on like five different platforms. You wow. Um, and you have different save files on everyone. I was probably like a week ago. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics was Isn't amazing. Isn't there like a remake coming too? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. I really wanted them. So with Final Fantasy VIII that's coming out right now, they're just revamping it for the PS4. They're doing the graphics, the whole nine, keeping the game exactly the same. Final Fantasy VII, they did all the graphics, they redid everything, but they're changing the fighting system. It's going to be more of an action game. What? Why do that? I I don't know. You're going to have to ask uh, the good old Squeenix people for that one. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get them on the horn. We'll ask them all about Uh it. I was was a little, it hurt. Yeah. Because I just wanted the upgrade. I just wanted to play it with new graphics and see all the cool stuff. Uh, I'm still going to buy it. I'm going to pre-order it because... (laughs) It's me, and that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think I'm going to die a little bit inside. Yeah? Yeah. Well, maybe it won't be as, as different as you, as you remember it. I hope not. Well, but you playing it through I've played multiple it so times. Yeah. <laughs> you actually probably remember it a lot more than most people do. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Um, Final Fantasy Taxis is one of my favorites as well. Tactics was amazing. Six was great. Like, uh, I've played through that series so many times, and then there's, like, Vandal Hearts and Ark the Lad. Like, uh, me and one of my friends had a uh, PS1 that was modded, and we would just burn all those games. Legend Mana, Chrono Cross, Chrono Trick, like, one after another. Breath of Fire 3 was fantastic. Nice. But I've played countless RPGs. Are you a Fire Emblem person at all? Haven't gotten the new one yet. She has the Switch. I actually looked at it yesterday because we were buying something <laughs> in Best Buy while we were here in Seattle. And I was nice. like, no, this is not the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> not the first purchase uh, right before going to a convention yeah. in which there will be I lots have of stuff. I stuff to do all week. Don't do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, we may get it for the plane ride home. It's possible. <laughs> That's worthwhile. Yeah. That's a worthwhile choice. Yeah. So I get a switch for me. And I get Octopath Traveler and Fire Emblem. And Joey takes my Switch for him yeah. and plays, but that's fine. That sounds like marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Just about. Yep. Uh, well, amazing. Uh, what is the next step for the the Dots Project? What's 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 your next uh, you know swing? Uh, so we're always we're always doing everything. Um, one of the most recent things that we I don't know if we officially announced it yet. I don't think mm. we did. It's okay. Um, now we are. Now we are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're partnering with people that are working on um, ASL for, well, uh, RPGs in general, but we're starting with D&D 5th edition. Uh-huh. And um, there may be some videos coming out on some D&D official stuff Sweet. soon. Uh, nice. I don't know when those articles drop. I forget when they drop. But um, So we're doing stuff and we're... Working with people that are either deaf, hard of hearing, uh, certified sign language interpreters, and creating kind of generic sign language that can be used in game instead of spelling things out, like finger spelling, you know, one letter at a time. Oh, because there's not a uh, there's no American sign language gesture for yes. yeah, right, or like <laughs> yeah. the school of divinity, or or all the 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 all the proper names that are in mm-hmm. there. Yeah, what was the one that you always go to? Ranger? No, uh, Leoman's Tiny Hut. That's <laughs> like, long. So annoying to have to spell, spell out, it out, you know, right? Like letter by letter. <laughs> Press the digitation. I can't even spell normally. I can't even say it. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> 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 so to try to spell that out every time, I just I could not. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. I really yeah. like that idea. So uh, who? I mean, how, how do you design that? Uh, it's not me. It's, it's not us. It's how definitely people, not us. How, I mean, not you. Um, how do people in the world uh, design so those, those gestures? It could be. Uh, so we have a few things that are like different combinations. Um, for example, if you look at the class Ranger, um, you say the word Ranger to somebody outside of a D&D context. They may think like a park ranger or park official or something like that. Yeah. So if there is, um, let's say there's the ASL sign for Ranger, it is most likely associated with that park official. So using that in a game setting might be confusing. Um, so we're suggesting the signs for uh, bow and person mm. to, sig- to signify like an archer. And that would stand in place of the word Ranger. What about the Beastmaster? We're not getting there yet. Um, (laughs) And then some things like uh, the spell for burning hands, we actually based on the somatic component that's written in the books Mm. that your hands kind of spread out in front of you. Oh, that's really fascinating to see how you can do spell descriptions based on that. Yeah, Yeah, so there are some spells that... um, are specified in the books what that somatic component looks like. Yeah. And we're folding that into what the sign language should be for it. Nice. Um, other ones are just kind of like descriptors based on the character, or the creature, or the beast. Um, but there's, there's a lot to be done. And um, it's exciting to work through those obstacles mm-hmm. with everybody. It's like, well, what makes more sense here? What doesn't make sense, what would transcend language? Because we don't want to only do American Sign Language. We want to make sure that it can be used for people in other countries, like British Sign Language or something like that. Um, so Are they very different? Are British and American Sign Language very different? There are some things that are different, yeah. Um, but it's the same as, as any spoken language, right. too. It's like some words... Here in English, in American English, might mean something drastically different in British English. Yeah. Um, so we're getting anybody um, that is proficient in sign language or deaf or hard of hearing um, kind of join up with us and, and 
whether it's creating the signs with us or just giving input and saying, you know, hey, I think this might work or I think this might work. Um, but that's uh, that, I guess, is our newest project. Um, it's an interesting way to standardize that type of thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I mean. To do something beyond the language. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's analogous to, you know, the uh, pronunciation guides on uh, D&D Beyond. Yes. Right? Where, you know, there's certain words that I had no idea how to, how to pronounce them <laughs> until I heard, you know, Matt Mercer and Marisha Ray say them on, on those type of things. Right. You know, and so that has standardized pronunciation to a certain extent. And I guess there's there's a an element of that into standardizing what signs are used for, for what Yeah, signs. that's what we're hoping to do. And that's why we want to get as many people as possible that this will affect yeah. to lend their voices. Because, you know, working as a small team of like three, four people, we don't ever want to speak for everybody. Yeah. So it's like, you know, hey, if you have input, you know, get in touch with us and let us know what you want to do. Uh, we're more than happy to do what needs to be done to make sure that it can make the game easier for people. Yeah, and I like that you guys are are thinking about that. I mean, obviously, as you know, to non visually impaired yeah. or, or 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 hearing impaired, right? Like that that you're you're being the conduit. Like yep. you're, you're 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 trying to get the feedback and uh, the ideas to a certain extent from those communities, and then translating that in you know through the five hundred one c three into into reality. Yeah, you know? and I think that's, that's really fascinating. That's really our biggest goal is just to facilitate between. You know, people who are experts in certain fields and, you know, people who live that life and and have those challenges and just trying to make everything work, you know, as best as best as we can help or even just putting people in touch with other people. You know, it's it's really that's that's mostly our goal is just just to help. The process, yeah. yeah, yeah, to be networkers, yeah, right, Pretty much. and that's that's <laughs> stuff that we're good spider at. Spider web <laughs> creators, <laughs> whatever like, works, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're weaving a web of of uh, of of the community together, right? Exactly, you know, not lies and deceit. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. Except for that whole you know demon yeah. thing, and <laughs> it works out better um, on a professional level going to publishers and developers as a five hundred one c three instead yes, of totally. just a single individual like going to a customer service email and trying to give feedback. Um, So we're able to get in and have lots of conversations that help things in the end, that help things progress overall. You know, we have some great conversations here. Uh, We have some other meetings lined up this week that we're here, and everybody wants to do what needs to be done to make things successful. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do it and where to start because it's an extensive process, and it's going to take time. Um, But... It's wonderful seeing how everybody's open to it. I agree. There's never been anybody that says, no, we don't want to make our stuff accessible. <laughs> everybody is always like, yeah, how do I do this? Like, wh- what can I do? How can we help? Yeah, um, and I think it's, it's a... Um, it's exciting. It's exciting because it's, it's a way to just, uh, I don't know, give back to the, the, these communities in yeah. some ways, right? Like, there's so many facets of life that I don't think, you know, uh, folks really realize are challenges for, for these communities. I mean, you know, right. I, I don't think before I started hearing about your work uh, or, uh, you know, or participating in, in, in speaking to Blind Temple about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the specific things that um, uh, that he experienced, um, you know, how, how much of a problem it was, right? <laughs> and so, like, just, just hearing that and then being like, well, there's a way to you know, bring the the power of the imagination of storytelling that's in this game um, uh, to these audiences. I just think is really, uh, I don't know. It just it's 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 heartwarming. It is. Yeah. It is. It's um, anytime we get one of those stories, um, 
it, it comes most often with the Braille dice, but, you know, we'll get messages from people, whether they be public or private. Like, you know, I, I gave these to my friend, relative, something like that. And, you know, they got to roll dice for the first time in their life. And, you know, there's, um, who is it? Um, Alexandria RPG mm-hmm. has a set. They're uh, actually at PAX and they travel throughout uh, the PAXs normally. Nice. And they had a guy show up right after we donated a set to them at the last PAX. And they said that he was an he was an older man, you know, and they said he broke down in tears at the thought of being able to roll his own dice in his game. Wow. And he sat there and he played for hours and it was like something that he never got to do before. And that's just so exciting. That is that's exciting. it's heartwarming and it's exciting and it, this little thing that we do can help somebody's experience that much more. Absolutely, yeah. we're going to yeah. keep doing it. And there's something, you know, that we have noticed a lot about Dungeons and Dragons uh, in general, but you know, for fifth edition, you know, by just the simple mechanic of advantage, you know, being yeah. able to roll more dice, mm-hmm. people have always said like, "Oh, who doesn't love rolling dice?" <laughs> right. You know, and you're like, "Well, uh, blind people." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until now, right? Yeah. You know, they haven't been able to the to have that simple joy of yeah. rolling something and figuring out what it is, and then getting that like, "Oh, yeah, we did it," yeah. you know, type type of thing. So there's been some braille dice that have existed before. Um, there's been some failed Kickstarters, you know, stuff that uh, has been going around for the last couple of years. Um, But not many people have actually been able to put out something like this and Mm -hmm. get it out to the communities. Um, And, you know, that's why when we started it, we're like, the files have to go out to the public. Like, you know, we don't want to hold on to this and hoard this and keep this for ourselves. It's if you have access to a 3D printer and like your school probably does a library, you can get it done somehow here. Yeah. <laughs> have it. Make it Please happen. enjoy. Yeah. Play. We're, yeah. we're having a hard enough time trying to keep up getting them out to the stores yep. and whatever because I'm printing all 24-7 it feels like when I'm home. And luckily it's, it's, it's something you can more. totally do while you're playing JRPGs. Yes, great. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get like an hour in between. I'll go play a game. It's a turn-based game. You can walk yeah. away at any Pause. time. Go right back. <laughs> yep. I love it. Yeah, yeah that makes great. total sense. Uh, so you guys mentioned when uh, when Wolfgang Bauer was here, yes. uh, and he brought in uh, the the physical copy of uh, the, the Braille yes. volume of uh, Tome of Beasts, I believe it was. Yeah. This. So this is actually different. Um, this isn't Tome of Beasts. This is uh, a Black Hack. Mm-hmm. It was a book that was done on D and D first edition. Uh huh. And so that's what a, a five by seven sheet yeah, of paper, right? Uh, Double sided, what 16? fourteen? Yeah. And so this is um, approximately eight and a half by eleven, double sided, ends up being a hundred total pages of braille. Yeah. Just for that one book. Right. So when we're looking at doing um, Tome of Beasts, because we're doing Tome of Beasts right now for Cobalt Press, um, that book, oh, I forget the total amount. It's, it averages about, yeah, it averages about 400 pages, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to end up being close to 30 individual volumes of 100 pages apiece. Wow. Same thing for the player's handbook is, is that's going to end up being 25 to 30 pages apiece. Wow. It's like uh, 25 to 30 books, yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're large, but it's the only way that you can kind of convey yeah. all of that information in Braille form. And what we're also doing with them is uh, we're also doing specific image descriptions Ooh. for all the creatures, all the characters. Um, this is specifically the monster manual that we've done. Yeah. And so the industry standard for alt text for an image description is about 100 characters. Okay. And that's one sentence. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so what we're doing is we're creating that image description, but then we're also doing a longer 
um, almost paragraph, like three to four sentences that can fully describe what that artwork looks like. Mm. Because if you're a blind DM and you want to try to describe this monster to your players, you know, you don't want to just say, here's a planetar. Like, no, you want to describe what it looks like so they can get that experience instead of just throwing out a character name. You know what I like about this is that, you know, obviously it's it's done with the idea of uh, of describing an image to mm-hmm. uh, a visually impaired person, but this is just good advice for dungeon masters in general. Yeah, to be like instead of I mean, it's very easy to be like, hey, it looks like this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and hold turn up, around hold, the book. Yeah, hold up. We're the page. all guilty of it. Yeah, no, we. I mean, as dungeon masters, it's just really shorthand, and sometimes the artwork is so you know well done that right. you don't want to have to describe it. But there is something really powerful about using language. And yeah. having the, uh, the the players conjure that image up in their in their imaginations. Um, it's yeah, like the so, difference between the movie and the book. Sometimes right. the book is so much better just because you imagined it to be. Yeah, and you go yeah. see the movie, and you're like, oh, that's well, what that's it looks not what like. I thought yeah. it was, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, so ha- having that that uh, shared conjuring uh, in everybody's mind, I think, is really exciting. Um, but we're doing stuff like this, um, and when we finish everything that we need to do uh, here with Wizards. Um, we hope to get these type of descriptions up on D to Beyond as yeah. well. Oh yeah, um, right. And then through text to Braille conversions, yeah. they can then read that while they're doing their research as dungeon masters. Mm-hmm. Be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use an Aboleth. Yeah. So the screen readers, like the electronic screen readers that would be on a blind individual's computer or phone or something like that, would be able to read this descriptive text and. You know that person would then understand what this creature looks like, yeah, and that may change how they want to describe it or how they want to play with it in their games. <laughs> I, I'm just reading through these descriptions; <laughs> they're so good. Yeah, Do you mind if I read is, one? No, go ahead. Yeah, because I think um, uh, we have a, a group of oh, I think close to ten people right now uh, volunteering to do all this on their free time, and it's just phenomenal. So. The Aboleth, oh, so the people who are writing these are like, they're all volunteering to do that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Or it might have been one of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a lot of people working on them. So the Aboleth, you know, which is, you know, dramatized uh, somewhat in Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Uh, a I, have, bit. I have a, <laughs> uh, not to give too much away, uh, but uh, it's described as uh, the short description is a green creature with long arms, many teeth in its open mouth. It has three eyes on its head. It has several fins on its back and on its longest arm, so that's pretty good at conjuring up. Yeah, you know what wh- what it what you you might imagine from there. But the the long description is way better. I think <laughs> I think you're all right. Uh, a pale green squid like creature is swimming to the left. Its body consists of a head of five long appendages, the longest of which has translucent green webbing at the end, similar to the tail of a fish. It has seven fins on its back, all varying in size. Its open, circular mouth reveals four rows of teeth. Five sets of gills are on either side of its mouth. The top of its head has three eyes, one on top of the other. Behind it is a green cloud of mucus. (laughs) See, and I think as a dungeon master, I would love to have these to conjure that image up uh, uh, for people. And especially like the... the um, what I guess I can refer to as like the close-up shot of it, like how many eyes it has, how many gills it has, how many fins it has on its back. Yeah. Because depending on the setting that your player is in, you can say like they just caught a glimpse of something and, you know, they see a, a green creature swim past with seven fins oh, on its back. Oh, that's a great back. idea. And, you know, you can take these little snapshots of text that we have and instead of 
presenting a creature to your players as a whole just presents it as the bits and pieces so that they still have to figure it out like in real time as their characters. I'll do you one better. It depends on what they get on their perception score. Perfect. Uh, Their perception roll, right? So if they roll a 10 or less, you give them a short description. If they roll a nat 20, (laughs) you got to give them something that's worth a nat 20 and this is everything that you see. I really like that. Um, One question here though, and I don't know if this is something that uh, is, is, is a thing or not. When you say, when you use comparisons, does that would that help someone or would that hurt someone? It's, we actually had a conversation about this the yeah. other night. Um, For example, t- the, the, like like the tail of a fish. Yeah, right? like well, it, would they know what a tail of a fish depends. looks like? Some stuff. Um, just for the sake of, uh, for those long descriptions, we try to keep them under seven hundred characters. Yeah. Um, some stuff that are like commonplace, like bird, fish, we'll try to use that. Um, but other ones that. Um, if it's a specific animal, instead of a bird, if someone says an eagle, we would try not to put that in right. because that conjures a very specific image rather than, you know, a couple of wings, a beak. Okay, a yeah. bird. Yeah, I get right. bird. Uh, and we're hoping that that's enough. But in any case where we have the characters to go past that and really just dive into straight description rather than presenting it as a simile or anything like that. So, yeah. We try not to, but in a case like that, that's pretty close to 700 characters already. And if you took out like a fish and tried to really dive describe into what a fish's what that fin looks like, like yeah. yeah, it would just be too long. And that's part of the reason why our our volumes are going to be so big because those are a glossary at the back of each volume to the appendix. Uh, the appendix, sorry, um, to let them. Oh, this image here's the short description, and then when they want to go read the long one. You can go and just, oh, I need this, I need that, I need this, and like shows you the real description, you know, in detail. But that adds pages to each yeah. one of our yeah. volumes. Yeah. Yep. That's so, fascinating. All so right. We well, we don't want to go too far. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, it seems like you've got a lot of irons in the fire of trying to make uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons more accessible for uh, uh, people who have all type of, of, of disabilities. So uh, I think it's great. I love that you're doing, you know, you're listening to to those folks and being that part of the community. I have a sneaking suspicion that many people who are listening to this may want to give you feedback and, and be involved with that. So please, what's please. the best way um, uh, for folks to do that? Well, how can they get involved? How can they, they offer their help? Uh, so our website, .rpg.org or .com, uh, either one works. But now that we're 501c3 official, we have the .org, so it's exciting. Woo! Um, and you can get us on all social media at .rpg, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're all over everything. Uh, generic emails, info at dotsrpg.com. Like, you she's, can get she's us. She's good at this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, and by us, I mean mostly me. <laughs> Sometimes she Joey. She reads and then dictates, and I do stuff. Sometimes Joey. That's how that works. You you're can the, also you're the get, factory worker. Yeah. yeah. Basically. You can also get Tyler in on the emails. Um, there's really three of us that run everything. Uh, and it's... Volunteers wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Right, neon signs. Yes, whatever you want to do to help. Yes, and if people have new help. ideas for how, you know how to improve the oh, type yeah. of stuff that you're doing, yeah. like you know, just I shoot it our way. Put my I crazy mean, crazy brain to work. Yeah, and if you're smarter than me, which you probably are, <laughs> tell me how to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot that we don't know, and we want to learn. Like it's this is not something that we could ever experience on our own. So please tell us what your experiences are in real life, what will make your life easier. Um, you know, how can we help you enjoy this game that everybody loves? Right. Um, and and if it's something that we can feasibly do, we're going to do it. Great. Or 
try really, really hard at least. We're going right. to do it. Well, get in touch uh, <laughs> at all the places. Uh, Dots RPG, you guys are doing a great yes. job. Uh, and uh, I can't wait and hope you enjoy Seattle and PAX West. Yes, we're thanks looking for forward to us. it. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming by. Thank you. All right. I love everything uh, that Jess and Joey are doing for the DOS Project. They're Amazing. really making good things happen. Seriously. Yeah. That was a great interview. Oh, thank you. Well done. We talked a lot. I uh, probably would have cried during it. Wish you were here to cry during it. It's just, I just, it's a really amazing thing. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of work, and it's totally worth it. And it I tugs love, at your heartstrings. It really it? does. Yeah. Tugged. I want there uh, to get all the support that you could possibly give out there. Uh, not only are they doing great things for the uh, visually impaired community, but just uh, just I don't they they get the whole idea about Dungeons and Dragons is lifting yes. people up, which is what we've been yes. trying to say this whole time. Shall Bring I? them in, lift them up, lift them D&D. up where we belong. D and D is for everyone. D and D is for everyone. Yes, lowering the barriers. Exactly. Well done. We're gonna blow up all the walls. <laughs> With Braille dice and uh, other yes other ways to get out there. So if you have any ideas or anything, please uh, contact me. I am at Greg Tito on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can also contact Shelly at Shelly Moo yes. on Twitter. Yes, you can. You can do that. <laughs> you can? You can do that. Do it. Make it happen. I have been contacted. There is also wonderful things that you can do through, thank you, Pelham, uh, for uh, getting everything together for Dungeons & Dragons, which is going to Dragon Plus. Downloading that app on your phone is always a good thing. There's a new issue out uh, that has tons of stuff for Baldur's Gate Descent to it. Always updating. Always updating. The freshest news you can get. Freshest. It is the freshest. Yes. Um, And I think you should also go check out uh, the website. DungeonsandDragons.com. Yes. Lots of things going on there, too. Yes. And if you would like to find out about things like Tyranny of Dragons or the forthcoming products, such as Dungeons & Dragons versus Rick and Morty, as well as Eberron Rising from the Last War, you can do so that very easily at their their website. Yes. I want to give a thank you to everybody who puts this podcast together, the Dragon Talk official podcast. Yes. I... Um, do very little at this point. It's mostly Shelly Mazzanoble. Right, uh, totally. Pelham Green. Yes. Rocking the microphones right about now. Ryan Marth. Yeah. Audio producer extraordinaire. We have a team. We have got a team. Uh, Jess Carr. Uh, Lisa. Lisa Carr, who is <laughs> rocking and rolling it all night long. <laughs> That's not actually what she does. <laughs> well, maybe that's what Jess Carr does. I, yes, they all but do. But Lisa Carr that's true. coordinates all of our bookings. That's right. Puts together these handy little uh, lead sheets. She does She does it all. She does so We much. wouldn't have anyone to talk to if it weren't for Lisa. It's true. That's yes. true. Um, so thank you uh, to all of you. And uh, I'm going to get a standardized way to read credits at one of these points. But maybe we'll just improvise it out. We'll just yeah, do like some it. improv from now on. Yes. There's some other things that we need to improv before Probably, this over. Yeah. Um, like the cow. The, over the moon? Yes. That's mooing? We could do like secret password or something. Ooh. The password is bing. <laughs> Be careful. Oh, no. Be careful. The secret word. Don't bing bong again. 